All right, kids, come on up. We didn't. I totally forgot that. We will do that next week. <laughs> Sorry. I have too many things on my brain. Oh, you'll hear next week. This goes there. Got a lot to do this morning and I didn't dare set it up ahead of time because I knew some people would have some sticks and flags. And I didn't want to take any chances. What do you think I'm going to do, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, it is. It's a lot of water, isn't it? What am I doing with it? Oh, you're going to find out. I'm going to dump it on you. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I want to, no, no, sit down. You need to sit down. <laughs> this particular thing gets, you guys get to sit down for a minute. Now I will call you guys up one or two at a time, but I want most of you to stay seated because I don't want four gallons of water dumped onto the floor. All right. How many of you guys have ever gone swimming before? Have you ever gone swimming in a wall in the ocean? Only in a swimming pool? When you go swimming in a swimming pool, are you able to float? Have you ever floated on your back? Have you, are you able to do that? I can't float. I try to float. I go all the way to the bottom. I just can't float. My wife, when she goes swimming, she can lay back and float. I have to have a big inner tube to keep me floating. Have me, do, you, do you guys sink or float? Which are you? Who's, do you sink or do you float? You never tried before? Okay. Anybody else try to float? You can float? You can float? You can float? Well, we're going to learn. You've never been swimming, but you know you can float. That's perfect. Well, I'm going to ask you guys. One at a time to come on up here. I have a few things. Let's see. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. And I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think I can make it happen. Come on up. One at a time. Come on up. This is a glass frog. Now, frogs like water, don't they? Do frogs swim in water? Have you ever seen frogs in water? No? Well, let's see. Do you think this frog will will float or will it sink? Which do you think? You think it's going to sink? All right, let's see. Try it. You were right. Good job. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Okay, Lillian, come on up, sweetie. Here is a turtle. This is a ceramic turtle. Turtles like water, don't they? And they swim in water. Do you think this turtle will swim, will, will sink, or will float? You think it'll float? Okay, let's try it. See what it does. Oh, it didn't float. It sank. That's okay. Okay, uh, next up. We want to come on up? I have a red ball with spikes on it. Do you think this will sink or do you think it will float? Sink. You think it will sink? Okay, put it in the water and let's see what it does. <gasps> it floated! How cool! So it didn't sink. All right, well, let me get that out of the way. Next up, I, 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 Audrey, come on up here. This is a plastic and a, and stainless steel um, tea 
infuser? Do you think it will float or sink? Because see, it has a bunch of holes in it, so it's going to fill with water when you put it in there. So will, will it sink or will it float? Sink. Sink. Nope, it floats. I love this thing. This is a tea infuser and it just floats in your cup the whole time that you're waiting for your tea. All right. So we're kind of like two for two, aren't we? All right, who's next? Come on up, sweetie. This is a solid block of foam. Do you think it will sink or float? Float. Float? Okay, try it. Perfect. Good job. Okay, you get to sit down. Now, come on up, sir. I'm going to change this. This is a solid block of foam, I said. Now the solid block of foam has a hole in it. Will it sink or will it float? I think it'll float. You think it'll still float? Okay. Try pushing it down. Nope, it's not going to go down. So the, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. So even though it had a hole in it, it wouldn't float. I mean, it wouldn't sink. Now I have an interesting, interesting challenge. Come on up, sir. this ahead of time okay will this sink this is metal so will this sink okay we're gonna make it a little bit smaller will that sink or will that float Float. you think it'll float okay go ahead and put it in the water it floats cool all right you go ahead and take a seat next up come on up now i'm gonna have you get your hands a little bit wet sorry okay take this same piece of aluminum foil it just floated make it into a ball Make it to scrunch it down into a ball. Tight, tight, tight ball. Come on over here and stand so everyone can see. Do you think now that you've made it into a tight ball, will it sink or will it float? It'll sink. Nope. It's still floating. I don't know why. I just know that it does. All right, Mr. Shane, come on up, sir. I have one more that I need to do, and you're going to be the one to do it. Do you think this Easter egg will sink or float? Don't open it. Float. Float. Put it in. It floated. Good job. All right. You guys go ahead and sit down. I have two more eggs that are exactly this. No, these are the ones I'm going to do. These are exactly the same as that one. The difference is with this one, it's completely empty. It's filled with air. Just like this one. But what I'm going to do with this egg is I'm going to fill it with water completely. So now it is full of water. Do you think it will sink or do you think it will float? Sit down, Shane. Sit down so everyone can see. How many think it will float? Raise your hand. How many think it will sink? Raise your hand. Ah, adults. How many think it will float? Raise your hand. Nobody wants to be brave. <laughs> okay, let's watch. It's full of water, but it still floats. Let me try one more time. Isn't this cool about floating? This time, I'm only going to fill half the egg. Okay, this will still have air in it. Do that. I dumped it out. All right, ready? Float or sink? Float, sink, float. Let's see. Float. They all floated. I honestly thought that the one full of the water would sink, but it didn't. Isn't that crazy? Okay, go ahead and take a seat. Take a seat, guys. Go ahead and put it. Leave it there. I want to read to you a story out of the Bible. I'm going to read you a story out of the Bible about sinking and floating. It's pretty cool. Jesus told all of his friends to get in a boat. And he was going to go up into the mountain and pray. And they had to get in the boat and go across the lake to the other side. They were literally, can you turn me down just a little bit? I feel like I'm screaming. They were um, in the boat 
for hours and hours and hours rowing across the lake. And it came to be three o'clock in the morning. And all of a sudden a storm happened and the wind was blowing and the waves were going and the guys were trying really hard to, to row the boat across the lake. And all of a sudden they saw walking towards them what looked like a man. And the Bible says that they literally screamed, ah, it's a ghost. <laughs> and you know what the ghost said? It's not a ghost. It's me, Jesus. Jesus, you're walking on the water. Yep. And Peter said to Jesus, well, if it's really you, Jesus, call me and I'll come out there with you. And Jesus said, okay, come on. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. But exactly. He was like, this is so cool. And then he went, I can't do this. <laughs> the Bible says Peter started to sink. And Jesus, and he screamed out, Jesus, help me. And Jesus reached down, just like in the picture, and picked him up and brought him. And they got, they walked across the water into the boat. And then the storm stopped. And the guys looked at each other and they went, Whoa, you are the son of God. Isn't that a cool story? Jesus made it possible for a human being to walk on top of water. Uh-huh. Is that when we have candy that what? That uh candy at the top. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do downstairs on the on the day Sunday before Christmas, we're gonna have a party and there'll be candy for everybody. Okay? Cool. She remembered. So what I want you guys to learn from this story and thinking about sinking and floating. Whenever you're, whenever something goes scary in your life, all you have to do is cry out to God and say, Jesus, help me. And Jesus has the power to even make things that seem impossible happen. So if like, say, say there's a, a wall that's going to fall down and you're like, Jesus, help me. Jesus can literally stop the wall. He has that kind of power because he's God and you can trust him for anything. He could lift the building. He could. It's so cool that we have that kind of a God that can do anything for us. Let me pray with you guys. He can even give us some power. That's right. He could. He could make small stuff bigger. He could make big stuff smaller because God can do anything. Let's pray. God. We thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us. And we thank you, Father, that if something bad is happening to us, all we have to do is cry out to you and you have the power to do anything to make it OK for us. We give you praise in Jesus name. Amen. OK, you guys can go back to your class. Your teacher's already back there, I think, ready for you. Okay, when people come up for communion, don't play with the toys, okay? <laughs> Somebody saw the jug of water earlier and said, Pastor, we're not having a foot washing, are we? I was like, no, no, no. All right. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 14. And uh, this was this was kind of a a wonderful study for me. I enjoyed it immensely. But uh, there were some things that were kind of frustrating, and it took a lot of reading to sort it out. So what I'm going to do this morning, I do have, I'm going to emphasize the passage where Jesus 
and Peter are walking on the water. But I want to talk about pretty much the entire chapter because there's some things that I I think you don't understand or know um, without further study. And so it gets kind of confusing at times um, for people that are just straight reading through the book of Matthew. So first of all, you need to understand and recognize, if you don't already know this, that Matthew is one of four Gospels. There are three Gospels known as the Synoptic Gospels, which mean they are all told from the same point of view. And then there's a fourth Gospel, the Gospel of John, that is told from a different perspective. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The scholars believe that Matthew and Luke actually used Mark, the Gospel of Mark, as an an outline when they were telling their their perspective and their remembrances of Jesus's story, they actually were using the gospel of Mark kind of like an outline. Um, and imagine this is, this is the, the way I pictured it in my head. Okay. In, in today's day and age, when we have computers and technology that has the ability to quote cut and paste, if you're familiar with that phrase, if you're, if you're writing anything in a word document or, 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 or PowerPoint or anything, you have the ability to say, I want you to pick up this and move it here. Okay, years ago, when I was before there were computers, when I was in school, if I was doing a research paper, I had to write out research notes on cards and then I would literally have to have the cards all over the desktop. So these pieces of information needed to then be arranged into a reasonable order so that I could write my paper so that I could turn it in and I'd get a good grade. Because if all I did was take my cards and shuffle them together and then just start copying the cards, it would be a disjointed thought process and there wouldn't be a, a pass, a, a, you know, a, a chronological line or there wouldn't be a, 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 a line of thought or whatever the case may be. So what I picture in my head was as Matthew is writing this gospel, he literally has all of these notes on the table that he's using to write this. Now, the challenge that I see in Matthew chapter 14 is he got one of the cards out of place or he didn't do a good transitional statement. I think that's probably the better way of doing it. So if you've ever written a paper, if you've ever written an article, an essay, uh, any, a book, anything, you understand what a transitional statement is. That's going from one story or thought to another story or thought, and it's a linking statement. Mark, Matthew used a transitional statement in the first part of this chapter that is kind of confusing. And so I want to, we're going to have to look at um, Mark, Matthew, and the Gospel of John to get a full understanding of what Matthew is trying to communicate to us this morning. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to try and go through the flow of the chapter as it's written. So... John chapter, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 14 starts out with the death of John the Baptist. Now, it says in verse one, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch. What's a Tetrarch? Anybody? Okay, I'll tell you. Remember when Jesus was born, there was a guy named Herod who killed all the babies. That's not this guy. Okay. Herod the Great was the guy who was crazy and afraid of people stealing his glory. So he killed people to keep them from taking his glory and taking his throne, including his wife and his kids, etc., etc. When Herod the Great died, they literally split up the area that Herod was over into sections. And there were each one of the sections were then then ruled over by one of his sons. So this guy, Herod, the Tetrarch, his name is actually Herod Antipas. So if you see in another gospel or another writing about the Bible, you'll see Herod Antipas. That's who this guy is. Herod Antipas is also the one that Jesus was sent before during Jesus's trial, just before his crucifixion. If you remember in that story, um, Pilate said, oh, you're from Galilee? Well, I'm going to send you to Herod the Tetrarch over Galilee. He's in Jerusalem at this time and let him hear your story. And so Pilate sent Jesus over to be interviewed by Herod. And Herod actually had wanted to meet Jesus. He was excited to meet Jesus. 
Why? How do we know that? Because it's right here in Matthew chapter 14. And that's what we're about to read. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch, Herod Antipas, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. And that's why this miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, that's verses one and two. Now, Matthew pulls out another note card from his pile of research and inserts it here. For Herod had seized John the Baptist, bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Oh, this is getting so confusing. Who are these people? Okay. Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch over the area of Galilee, one of the sons of Herod. Herod had many more than just three sons. He had, but three of his sons became Tetrarchs over the land of Israel and, and Judah and, and that area. Herod Philip is living in Rome and he's married to a woman named Herodias. And Herod Antipas goes to Rome for some business and he meets with his half-brother, Philip. And he sees Herodias during this interview and he goes, hubba hubba. And so he goes home and gets rid of his wife. I don't remember if he killed her or if he just divorced her, but he got rid of her. Why? Because he wanted Philip's wife. And so he brought... Herodias back from Rome with him, and she became his wife. Now let's go back to Matthew. John, in verse 4, John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to, and though the king, Herod the Tetrarch, wanted to put John to death, Herod feared the people because they held John to be a prophet. But then something happens. Herod has a birthday. And they throw a big party for the Tetrarch. He's also known as the king, but he really wasn't a king. He was a Tetrarch. But anyway, they, say he's, they use the word king in here in a little bit. So when Herod's birthday comes, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised on an oath to give her Anything, whatever she might ask. So this young woman goes to her mama and says, what should I ask for, mama? What should I ask for? I can have anything up to half the kingdom. And mom says, I want John the Baptist's head brought in on a platter. And so the daughter goes to the king, to the Tetrarch, and says, I want John the Baptist's head brought in on a platter. And verse 9, the king, Herod, was sorry, but because of his oaths and the guests that were at his party, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Here, mom, I got what you wanted. It's very gruesome, disgusting, horrible. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. Now, what we don't hear in the gospel, but what scholars believe happened was after John was killed, the disciples buried John's body and then they went and aligned themselves with Jesus as Jesus's followers. And so Jesus is now informed of the death of John the Baptist. If you remember, John the Baptist was a blood relative of Jesus. He was the baby in Elizabeth's womb that jumped for joy when he heard Mary's voice. We're going to hear all about that in the coming weeks as we look at Advent. And so John the Baptist and Jesus had a pretty close, tight-knit relationship. So now Jesus is told John's dead. Now let's go to verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. And that verse, verse 13, is the poor transitional statement. What does that sentence make you think? 
What did Jesus hear that caused him to get in a boat and go to a desolate place? That's what you would think from the way this was written. But if you go to the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John and look at verse at chapter six of each of those, we get a slightly different. Excuse me, go to Mark chapter six. If you go to Mark chapter six, and if you look at verses 14 all the way through 29, this is the story that we just read of John the Baptist being beheaded. And then verse 29, when the disciples heard of it, they came and they took John's body and laid it in a tomb. And then verse 30 of Mark chapter six, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. What? What what does that have to do with John the Baptist getting killed? Well, if you go backwards in in Mark, just before the story of John the Baptist's death, in verses 7 through 13, you read the story of Jesus sending out his apostles two by two and giving them authority over unclean spirits, and then they come back. In verse 30, the apostles return to Jesus and tell him all about the things that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. That was Mark chapter six. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, the report of the 12 apostles coming back from their mission, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. And healed their sick. So what we see here is that one verse, verse 13, Matthew, when he was doing his research thing with his cards, he left out that little paragraph about the apostles coming back from their mission, just as Matthew, as Mark had already told him in his gospel. And so that one transitional statement makes it sound like Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist, his close relative, and was destroyed emotionally and had to go someplace quiet. But what he was actually responding to was what was going on with his apostles. And if you go back to the first two verses of Matthew chapter 14, it said, when Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, So Jesus, in verse 13, hears about Herod and hears about the people, all the things that the apostles are doing, and they need to go someplace quiet. Why? Well, we're not given that information, but what scholars want to tell us is, or what scholars tell us is that Jesus was a human being just as much as he was fully God. He was fully God. He was fully man. And what are men and women subject to? Temptation. The people were seeing the rising up of their long-awaited Messiah. The one who's going to come and throw off the yoke of the Romans. And here he is. And Jesus, who knows, hey, I got some bad stuff coming. I could just skip all that and just go and do what the people want. There's this scholars are are suggesting as you read this, that he's wrestling with that temptation to circumvent the plan and just go to the good part. And so scholars suggest that the reason Jesus says, let's get away from is we need to refocus ourselves. 
Yeah, you've had a spiritual high, guys. You guys just got back from this incredible mission. We're literally, if you read it later on, it says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It was powerful. But Jesus is saying, because mm. remember what he said to his apostles after that? He said, don't be thrilled that the demons respond to your words. Be thrilled that your name is written in the Lamb Book of Life. Be thrilled that you have relationship with God. That's what's most important. He's having to refocus them. And scholars say Jesus needed to refocus himself as well by getting away and praying. And you can go through the Bible through the, all of the Gospels. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, I think it is. Jesus, that's one of the first times we see Jesus gets up very early in the morning and goes off to a lonely place by himself to pray. He, that was his normal practice. Jesus spent hours on his face before the Father alone. Why? Because he was a human being that needed to connect with God. He was God. We don't understand how that works, but... Jesus spent hours alone with the Father. This is one of those times. So in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus is saying, get in a boat, let's go. The crowd heard and they followed on foot. And when they got to the, sh- when Jesus and his disciples got to the shore, he saw a great crowd. <sighs> We're trying to get some quiet here. But that's not what he does. It says he has great compassion on them. And so he ministers to them. Healing them. Showing love on them. Verse 15. Now when it's evening, the disciples come to him and say... Lord, this is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away so they go to the villages and buy food for themselves. And Jesus then performs the miracle of feeding the 5,000. And then we skip because we don't have time to to talk about that. So verse 22. At the end of the miracle of feeding the 5,000, remember the disciples said it's the end of the day. Okay. So it's getting close to dusk, probably four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. Now Jesus says to his disciples, you guys get in the boat and go to where we were heading. I'm going to send the crowd away and then I'm going to go get some time alone with God. So he does that immediately. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side. When he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And evening, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 24, the long, the boat was a long way away from land. You don't have to turn here, but I will give you the reference. John chapter 6 talks about this very story. And it said, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when the disciples had rowed three or four miles. And I read that and I was like, how big was this stinking lake? Well, I learned. At its longest point, the, 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 uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee is 13 miles at this point, they, they estimate that this, this length from side to side was about seven to eight miles. Now, for reference, if I were to leave the church this morning, go out the driveway and turn left, when I got to Nordale, I would have traveled eight miles. So literally, these guys are rowing in a boat from the driveway of our church towards Nordale and they get to around the 10 mile store or Lorraine's. You understand where we're at? They've gone almost to Lorraine's, rowing against the wind. They're exhausted. And then it says, by the, by the fourth watch, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. Well, what is the watch? 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. is the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the fourth watch. So these guys got in the boat sometime around 5 or 6 at night. 
And they rode four miles or so, four or five miles in a matter of almost nine hours. They're exhausted. They've already done a full day of ministry. They are wiped out and they're still not where they need to be. And the waves are still and the wind is still. And then all of a sudden, somebody looks up and goes, what the heck is that? And it says they literally shrieked. They were terrified and they yelled, it's a ghost crying out in fear. That's verse 26. But immediately Jesus says to them, take heart. It is I do not be afraid. Now, if you look at the Greek that says it is I, it literally can be translated. Take heart. I am. Be not afraid. Scholars say that there's no way to know for sure that Jesus was giving them that hint. But if you look at this passage, and we're going to see in just a few verses, this is the passage where the disciples recognize that he's not just a, a holy man. And he's not just a powerful man. He's just not got a good relationship with God, but that he is indeed God. That's where they're at at this point. So let's go on. Jesus says, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter goes, well, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he goes, okay, come on. What? Wow, cool. He steps out of the boat, walks across the waves. Now, again, the waves are, the wind, and Peter's walking on the water. We don't know how far he walked. We do know that when he started to sink and panic, Jesus was within reach of him. So how far did Peter walk out on the water? We don't know. Was it a minute? Was it 30 seconds? Was it five minutes? We don't know. I want to think it was kind of like this. If it's really you, call me. I'll come out. All right, come on out. Really? Oh, my word. This is so cool. Oh, my. off of Jesus and he went I'm going to die now this is a seasoned fisherman he has been out on that lake his entire career he knows what these storms can do and all of a sudden the novelty wore off and all of a sudden the panic set in And he freaked out. If you look at it, verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And this is what I think is so funny. He didn't sink. He began to sink. It was almost, and again, scripture doesn't give me this. This is just my conjecture. It was almost as his faith and his attention was coming off of Jesus. And as it was more and more filling with the surrounding, he was losing it and slowly sinking down into the water. And he's screaming, help me, Jesus, save me. Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, takes a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, two things. First of all, um, I was reading one of the scholars. I think I have their notes. Let me see. 
Yeah, here it is. Um, what was his name? Forgive me. Roger Hahn, H-A-H-N, wrote a commentary on the book of Matthew. And he wrote... Um, forgive me. I had it. There it is. Because Jesus walked on the water, he had the right to ask Peter about his doubt. Perhaps walking on water should be required before any other person is permitted to criticize Peter for sinking. Rather than concluding that Peter failed, maybe we should recognize that great act of faith it took for this big disciple to get out of a boat and walk on the water in the first place. It should be instructive to us that his sinking occurred when he turned his attention from Jesus onto the storm. It is only as a disciple walks obediently focused on Jesus that the disciple can authentically imitate him. And when I read that, I was reminded of a time when I was in basic training in the Air Force. We were required every stinking morning to go out. And as a team, we had to run a mile and a half. I wasn't a runner. I got conditioned over the course of six weeks where I could run a mile and a half. But at the beginning, it was hard. It hurt. It was, I just couldn't do it. But I couldn't fall out. I had to continue. And I found that if I would look at a telephone pole, a light post, a stop sign, I could just focus on that and keep running and not be thinking about the pain that I was feeling or the fact that I was breathless or the anxiety of, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't. But if I just kept my eyes focused on that stop sign, but when it came to me, then I'd have to find something else out in the distance to focus on, the tree or the the light pole or whatever it was, until we finally reached the end of the mile and a half run. And what it did was it gave me a point of focus, a way to keep my mind off of all the other stuff that was going on. And that's what I see here as a lesson for us. When Peter took his eyes off of Christ and started recognizing that, A, there's a pretty fierce storm. B, I know better than this. C, this is impossible. He began to sink. And I think we go through stuff like that too. There are tough things that happen in our lives. The very first thing that should happen when we have tough things is we should scream out, Lord, save me. Jesus, I need you. And then, when it doesn't go away immediately, keep your eyes fixed on the anchor, on the hope, on the source, on the only answer. Because if you look at the circumstances and the surroundings, you're going to falter. You're going to begin to sink. But he's right there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will grab you if you'll just keep your focus on me. And so I only—I don't hear Jesus chiding Peter. I think Peter, I think Jesus was so busting out with pride over Peter. Look at you. Look at you. Oh, man. You were so close. It could have been so, Peter's perspective would have been so different. Had he walked all the way and grabbed Jesus' hand. Can you imagine if you were Peter and you hadn't taken your eyes off of Christ and started looking at the storm and got yourself doubting. If you had actually walked the entire distance and ended up in the embrace of God. What a difference the perspective would have been. Didn't happen that way. They're now back in the boat. Look at what it says at the end of this passage. Verse 32. When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, 
you are the son of God. They said, truly, you are the son of God because the wind ceased. That doesn't make sense, because if you look at Matthew chapter um, eight, there was another storm where Jesus was asleep in the boat. And the disciples came to him and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he said, you little faith. Why are you so afraid? And he sat up and rebuked the waves. It was completely calm. And they went, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That was chapter eight. Now we're in chapter 14 and they're worshiping him. They recognize him as God. What changed? I mean, he'd done miracles already. He'd he'd healed people. He had cured leprosy. He had made lame people walk. He had cast out demons. What was different now? If you have your Bibles, turn to this key verse. Job chapter 9, verse 8. Job is just before Psalms. Job chapter 9. Verse 8. It's going to take me a second to get there. Job chapter 9, verse 8. And I'm going to read actually verse 2 through 8. Well, 1 through 8. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with God, one would, could not answer him. Once in a thousand times, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? God who removes mountains and they know it not. When God overturns them in in his anger, God shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. God commands the sun and it does not rise. Who seals up the stars. God alone stretched out the heavens. God trampled the waves of the sea. This is only one passage. There's about four passages in the Old Testament that specifically say that God walks on the sea. And it is at this moment in Matthew chapter 14, after seeing Jesus walk on the water, that it's not just that he's a powerful, good, holy, righteous prophet of the Almighty, but that he is the Almighty himself worthy of worship. And in that boat, they fell on their faces before him in adoration and in worship. Because it was in that moment they were fully convinced that he was God. And then they crossed over, verse 34, and they came to the land at Gennesaret. And then the men of that place recognized him. They went all around the region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that he might touched the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. Ah, The needs of the people are still there. And the temptation to become the Messiah is still there. But that one thing that happened on that one three o'clock to six o'clock window of time where the 12 apostles were in the boat and finally got it. So my question to us this morning is this. First of all, have you reached that point in your own life? Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus is indeed God? That this isn't just some holy guy that's a wise guy, that's a good prophet, that's a good teacher, but that indeed he is God. If you have reached that point, how focused are you When it comes to the way you live your life. Do you read his word regularly? Do you pray to him regularly? Do you worship him daily? Or do you just give him lip service? Because if he's truly God. Then he's truly deserving of everything. All of your life. Everything. And what's so cool. If you will. Fill yourself completely with God. The water of life, if you will. It's it's really pushing it here to get this to to work. You can float. You can stand and walk on water. God can, through you, do impossible things. 
The word of God says, you as a Christian have the ability through God's power to say to this mountain, be moved and it will be moved. The question is, do you believe it? The question is, are you willing to step out of the boat and actually practice it? And if you're not, why aren't you? Well, that's just for the Old Testament people. No, no. I want to share one last thing and then we're done. I wrote a sermon many, many, many years ago. It was the testimony of Peter. And the story, the, the sermon goes that Peter's been, in, he's an old man now and he's been invited to somebody's church as a guest speaker and he's sharing his testimony. And um, at, the, at the very end of his sermon, as he's closing it out, he says, you know, this is kind of embarrassing, but early in the morning, sometimes I like to go for a walk along the, the shore of the Lake of Galilee. And when no one else is around, when it's just the pre-dawn and it's just me and God, I step out onto the water to see if maybe I can do it again. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be able to do it again. It was so cool. And I want to experience it one more time before I go. What things in your life have been so cool because of the relationship you have with God that you want to go back and do that again because it was so cool. Why can't that be every day? I would tell you it's because you're looking at something other than God. That's why. If you will put your focus on him and him alone and allow his Holy Spirit to fill you completely, you can experience that power. That, that glorious... Uh, I don't even have to say it other than just walking on water. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much that... Matthew and Mark and John and Luke all included this for us. That we indeed have proof that you are God. That there is a Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That we have access to you through the blood of Christ. That we have the presence of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, encouraging us empowering us for service. God, help us to become disciples who keep our focus on you and who are willing to step out in faith when you call us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.